1: robins on the wire a bristol post
2: podcast with michelle owen and bristol city reporter gregor mcgregor welcome to a new edition of robins on the wire it's a little bit shorter this week because we've got a longer section of the interview with mark ashton the bristol city ceo who we heard from last week we had 10 minutes then and we're gonna have a bit of a longer portion from that interview this week so ahead of then, and discussing chiefly the Huddersfield great result and performance, I'm joined by Tim Shires, formerly an employee of Bristol City Football Club, of course, uh, a while ago. Tim, how are you doing? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm take it i taking the place of Michelle Owen. Not quite as glamorous, but um, I'll, I'll try and bring something to the table. A bit, a bit more hairy, I think I could say. I think <laughs> that's fair, fair to say. And um, yeah, Michelle is, is due to come back in January. Obviously, she's on sabbatical at the moment for well-documented reasons. And, yeah, I think she's going to be back on the podcast in January, February. So we look forward to having her back then. But, yeah, kicking off then this week. And what did you make of the Huddersfield game? And if I can maybe throw this out there, do you think it was a case of Bristol City being very brilliant or Huddersfield being very poor?
0: Probably a bit of both. Um, I know that's sitting on the fence, really, but um, I mean, City needed a performance after the West Brom game. Um, They needed to come out and and show what they can do, and I think they uh, they delivered. Uh, But West Brom was that was really poor. I mean, even against a good West Brom side, I I think they probably will end up champions, if not definitely top two. But even that aside. It was, it was a
2: poor performance by City standards. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I think that basically anyone finishing above West Brom for me will be promoted this season. And I actually go as far as to say that I think they're the best team I've seen this season. I thought they were better than Leeds. I really like that um, sort of back... They've got the two kind of enforcer guys, Livermore and uh, Sawyers just playing in front of the two centre-backs there. Those two guys are so athletic and muscular, brilliant at pressing the ball. Uh, I'd hate to play against them. And yeah, they're they're sort of like the bouncers in front of the the nightclub there in a way. And yeah, you're right. The kind of maybe City maybe needed this performance off the back of that and... To be honest, it is a good time for it to come as well because I imagine that it's going to give a big boost to the whole squad. Is is, is that how you see it? And uh, and maybe just pushing it on a little bit. Which which was your pick of the goals from the weekend? Um, I actually think um, Eliasson's was probably the best because it was slightly
0: behind him and the way he had it after. We've seen Vyman do that a couple of times, yeah. But Eliasson, you don't expect that from him. So I think for me, that that was the pick, uh, just purely
2: the way he managed to get his head on it and, and direct it into the goal with such power as well. Yeah, bullet header. We've not seen too many headers, obviously, from Nicholas Eliasson. That was his first goal of the season, in fact. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to recall if if he has scored a header. I can't think offhand. I'm, but I would suggest that that is possibly his first headed goal for Bristol City. Somebody might correct me. Um, but yeah, in terms of other individual performances, was Nicholas Eliasson the standout for you? A lot of other City fans see saying Masengo and, and, and uh, Brownhill as well? I think there are several. Um, it was nice to see Eliasson actually
0: using his right foot a bit more as well, because he, he does become a bit of a one-trip pony sometimes, especially on the right-hand side, where he goes down to the right, he does a couple of step-overs, and you just know he's going to try and get it back onto his left foot, and defenders know that as well. So it was nice to actually see him swing a few balls in with his right foot.
2: I think one of the assists was actually with his right foot. Yeah, two Well, yeah, two of them, I think, in a way, because it depends if we're going to give him that own goal, because... That was from a right is And of, it got a deflection yeah, as well, yeah. so
0: it, yeah, it was kind of a double whammy.
2: Yeah, I, I thought Bristol City, when things aren't going your way, that one might have been ruled out the own goal because there was a little arm up from Nathan Baker, but that is being harsh and it, it, shouldn't, it, it should have been given in my opinion and I think given,
0: we, so. if VAR was in the championship it would have been disallowed so then if VAR was in the championship City would have had a lot more goals this season um, I think they've been unlucky in, in a few cases um, but then again it probably works the other way as well there's been a few goals that would have been taken away So
2: absolutely, absolutely and just sort of looking back where, where do you think this performance stands Tim in terms of the, the best Bristol City home performances that we've seen because we haven't seen too many convincing wins. That is what a lot of fans have said to me. But that certainly was up there, and I'd suggest maybe going back to West Brom last April last season. Are there any other games that you that, that spring to your mind that maybe also in that calibre of win at, at all? Um,
3: I
0: don't think it's necessarily about sometimes the performance or how many goals you win by. It, it's about where you are at that stage of the season, coming off the back of a result like the West Brom one, and putting in a performance like that, it was vital that City won, whether it was by one goal or or by the three goals that they did win by. What they will be disappointed by was the two goals they conceded. Um, It's all right to score five, but they still got to tighten up at the back. Conceding two on another day... City might not have got a single shot on target like the Forest game, um, and they could have lost 2 0.
2: Yeah, do, do, I don't know if you can remember the goals particularly well, but I like to apportion some blame if I can some, somewhere because uh, we are independent. So, yeah, I, I kind of make Ashley Williams a little bit at fault for that first goal he maybe should be tighter to Carl and Grant I think it is a great finish from Carl Grant there's also, I don't know if you can remember it well, but there's a little deflection off Williams, which means it flies past Bentley, but I do wonder if Bentley might have been able to cover that side of the goal a little bit better because it, from where I was sat, maybe it's just the angle from the press box, it did seem like there was a lot of goal open to aim at and likewise for the second goal I just wonder if, if maybe Bentley's positioning could be a little bit more that he could come out and narrow the angle a bit more because again it's a great hit from Bakuna flies right in the corner but I just wondered if it was a little bit too easy for him but maybe I'm being a little bit harsh well if it was too easy
0: uh, I'm sure that would have been addressed in training they would have been working hard with the goalkeeping coaches um, to make sure that you know they analyse all that. I know City do a lot of analysing. It's one of Lee Johnson's things, isn't it? Um, so anything that that wasn't quite right for those two goals, I'm sure that will be addressed. And uh, going on to Saturday, what I'm really interested in is is what Lee Johnson puts out, what formation he plays, what team he puts out. Because after the Huddersfield game. I heard a lot of people saying on the, the radio phone in afterwards on uh, BBC Bristol saying that he needs to basically play that exact same team again against Fulham. A couple more people came on with a bit of a balanced explanation saying actually might need to revert back to a five at the back. There there are cases for both but I think if, if you're just pleasing the fans then it's got to be the same team but it, if Lee thinks deep into it I can see a few changes and possibly a backfire again against Fulham.
2: Yeah, interesting. I was going to come on to that. We get first of all, we're going to hear from Lee Johnson a second, and this is what he made of the Huddersfield game, and then we're going to discuss the the Fulham game briefly, and also two former Robins, going by the names of Joe Bryan and Bobby Reed.
0: Why well, you ask for a response? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty well got it in that first
2: half,
3: particularly. Yeah, the boys were fantastic today. Um, been a tough week for us obviously for a number of reasons and we, and we wanted to come and show our spirit if you like and I thought we showed both spirit in attack and defence some uh, wonderful moments of quality which is good and, and I felt that was coming at home you know the Forest game we took a bit of criticism and um, we took it on the chin in terms of our finishing but we got in some great areas and uh, you made the point about getting across people in the box and uh, Gregor made the point about um, no shots on target, but I think that we created four or five golden opportunities, if you like, and that should be enough to, to win a game. So I think it was coming, um, and credit to the boys because today they really executed a lot of the things that we work on in training.
4: You talked about delivering a few home truths after the West Brom game, and really that happened. Um, what, was, what was the immediate reaction to, to what was a pretty bad night for you?
3: well i mean i trust the players for sure uh, and i think the, the championship's got the ability to give you a punch mm. on the nose and uh you've got to bounce back really really quickly and i suppose that was the test today you know we had to do our jobs really well because huddersfield have got real quality and um, they've got a very very good manager that's come in and done extremely well so it's going to be a tough ask for us, particularly third game in a week, particularly having played the Wednesday and them having the extra 24 hours recovery. So changes were needed and, uh, and those changes like, had earned the right really with their training performances um, and given the fact that it was a poor performance against West Brom to come in and uh, all the players on an individual basis certainly stood up and uh, was counted in a really important match.
4: Yeah, a lot of really good individual performances but Nicholas
3: Eliasson, I thought first half was the, the spark for so much of, of what he did I mean, he gets so, I think he's got so, more assists hasn't he? Than what, have anyone <laughs> yeah, yet? I'm not sure he'll get the own goal one because no, uh, no. it's no. an own goal, it doesn't seem fair that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's had two or three of them, but no, listen, he was excellent and uh, he's been training well we've talked about this before, I was a, a victim really of the formation change um, and and he deserves to play really, so at this game the opportunity presented itself to change the formation and to build around nicholas's qualities but of course he's still got to perform and uh, i was pleased for him for his goal because uh, it's something that we are on him a lot myself and the coaches to, to shut off the far post from crosses because naturally he's thinking about picking up the flick and delivering it for someone else so um yeah a lot of the things that, that we work on came out today and uh, I thought Hanna Masengo was absolutely outstanding. Uh, I mean, well, wow, what what a player at 18 years old and and today was the first time that he really implemented the work that that we've been doing with him and that he's been doing. I thought Adam looked the real deal again. Um again some work in the week on on the rules of when and when to press and when not to press just sort of opened up the game for him and uh those two in the middle really ran that game in the first half. Did you switch formation because of the way they played, or what... no? I switched the formation because we'd had a good run in the five, you know, and, and we're very versatile. And it probably taken eighteen months to uh, to make sure that we can easily flow between the five and the four. But obviously, each formation has different strengths and different weaknesses against various shapes. So it was a case of um, the changes to the personnel. Like I say, Nicholas was going to be an important player today and it was to make sure he had the, the cover and balance around him to go and flourish and uh, excel like he did. You've been pretty patient
4: with him, um, in and out of the side. He was a young player when he, when he came here, wasn't he? And he's been in and out of the team. Is he pr- beginning to produce the real what you really thought he would when you signed him? Yeah, absolutely.
3: I think wingers probably hit their peak at about sort of 27, 28, to be honest, because at that point they've learnt everything. But... When he came in, a young player, without doubt, talent, but a little bit short in terms of uh, the defensive side of the game, um, physically sometimes, and the duels a little bit short. And again, it's credit to him; he's a fantastic student. Look at the way his bodies change. Um, look at the way he, he understands now. He sees situations developing, when to press, when not to press. He's been like we've sent him to judo every day for uh, every week for a year. So, um, and he's taken that on, and, and now you can see him using his body um, much, much better, particularly in and around his feet. So now he's got the strength, not only, he's got, not only has he got the skill to go past somebody, but he's got the strength to disrupt them. And when you've got strength and skill together, it's uh, a center of gravity. It's very, very difficult to stop.
2: Yes. So that was Lee Johnson's thoughts on, on the great win against Huddersfield, their, their best home win for, for some tip time. And in fact, the first time they've scored five goals since I make it, April against Hull in 2018. And uh, I, I don't know if there was just a little point in that game, Tim, where I thought once... Uh, Huddersfield scored their second goal it made me think back to that match and I thought hello we've seen a couple of games where where we've seen some crazy score lines the other one people were talking about in the press box was the, the Sunderland game where they were I think were 3-0 up and, and came back to well sorry Sunderland came back to draw 3 all. so yeah you can't rule those kind of strange games out at home just um Just really rounding off the Huddersfield game, the the thing we now need to talk about in hindsight is obviously the very tragic news concerning Benic Afobe and his daughter Amora, who sadly passed away at the weekend. The news was relayed by Benic himself in a public announcement on Sunday and Bristol City Football Club also followed that up and announced that they were were dedicating the win on Saturday uh, to Benic and his family and we followed that up by asking um, some background from Lee Johnson at the at the at the press conference this week, and it's fair to say it's been a really tough week for Bristol City uh, over the last few days. Definitely, um, and the
0: thing is as well that you've seen from the outpouring, not just at City but all over the football country, is how much Bennekephobia is liked and respected because the amount of people have come out with, with good wishes for him and sending their love to the family um, it's not surprising but you know it's nice to see because sometimes you don't realise how much a player is, is known or liked or has connections elsewhere you, you, you've seen a lot of clubs tweet about it a lot of players mention it, I know Jack Wilshire Put out a, a bit of a statement on Twitter that was very Dele, touching. Yeah,
2: Delhi Ali. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, so it, it's nice to see the whole of the football community kind of come together and show their support for for a and his family.
2: Yeah, definitely, well said. And um, yeah, we, we asked Lee Johnson in the press conference about this week, and he explained that it was very difficult. For the head coach on Friday, because he actually learnt of the news then. He learnt of it from Bennick, and he said that Dean Holden was with him at the time. And obviously, Dean—that is something Dean Holden can relate to because obviously he has had some uh, a tragic um, story like that in his past as, as well regarding his close family and, and one of his um, children. And yeah, the, the tough thing is that, that obviously the decision is: do you tell the players ahead of playing Huddersfield or not? And Lee Johnson was explaining, we're going to hear this from, from Lee himself in a, in a second, but he was explaining that basically he decided not to tell the players ahead of the Huddersfield game and and he explained that only two of the players knew during the match they were Ashley Williams and Casey Palmer. And we can see, with hindsight, you can see looking back now that Ashley Williams scored his goal and it looks like he's dedicated his his goal, the celebration there. Um, to um, Benicaphobe and his, his family So yeah And then the squad were told after the game So yeah Really tough uh, for those guys Because it, it was also the, um, the squad's Christmas party as well on, on Saturday evening So just dreadful timing all around But obviously these things are bigger than football Bigger than anything aren't they It's just, just tragic, a, a tragic story Unfortunately for all concerned I think for anyone with Young kids as well, it
0: it hit home a little bit more because I've got a young daughter myself. Um, So to hear news like that, especially when you've got kids, you know, it touches your heart a lot more than it it might if you didn't have kids. I'm not saying that anyone else, you know, you have to have kids to feel. But, um, yeah, it, it was one of those, I stopped and thought for a moment, you know, how I just can't even begin to imagine what it feels like to, um, to lose a child like that
2: yeah so our thoughts and wishes uh, with the Afobe family who Lee and Dean Holden went down to visit earlier this week in Kent <clears throat> and um, yeah we, we're going to hear Lee's thoughts on that as well as the upcoming game at Fulham we're just going to move it on slightly and discuss finally um, about Joe Bryan and, and Bobby Reid here obviously two guys you, you'll have known well from your from your spell working at Bristol City Tim mm-hmm. those guys you, you must have come across them in your time what can you tell us about their character and, and did you speak to them much did you know them well because they're, they're Bristolians they've been around the area a long time I, I think they're going to relish this game and I think they might well be up for a win here well I think the first
0: of all the reception that Joe Bryan will get will be brilliant because he's not uh, face City since going to Fulham whereas Bobby Reed has at Cardiff so I think Bobby's reception will probably be a bit, a bit more muted uh, Joe Ryan will get a very warm reception I'm, I'm no doubt in terms of their characters Bobby a popular person around the place um, he's often seen around Bristol even now um, I don't know if he still has a place here or or anything like that but he's often seen kind of dotted around <laughs> yeah,
2: and, uh, yeah, here and been, there. I know he's mm-hmm. been back for, um, to see the Bristol City Academy at one point he was delivering a talk to some of the young players there so yeah he's obviously not forgotten his roots around here which is which is great. So. Yeah and obviously um, Joe has still got family here
0: um, well documented that his dad is a, a heart surgeon at the uh, the BRI so um, yes yeah, so I'm sure Joe comes back quite a lot in terms of his character Joe's actually quite a quiet person he keeps himself to himself um, you know dead, does a lot of his talking on the pitch um, as City saw, you know, some great performances, especially uh, the Man United one is the first one that springs to mind um, but all that is out the window on Saturday uh, no love, once three o'clock comes along It's uh,
2: you, it's got to be all concentration on City You don't care for them, you just want the win on Saturday <laughs> So I, I'm going to throw the cat amongst the pigeons here a little bit, Tim, and just for debate's sake who do you think of the pair of those players has got the higher potential, uh, or the higher ceiling maybe to to play football? Which could you see either of them going back to the Premier League? Obviously they left here to play Premier Le- League football. They both got that immediately, but things haven't really worked out for them, although it's only been eighteen months since they left. Could you see either of them making moves to the Premier League in the future? Do you or do you think the championship is the is the natural no, them Definitely or? Joe Bryan. I think Joe's
0: potential is still there. He he can step it up to another level. Um, he's shown in performances for City and in the Premier League for Fulham, uh, even though he got relegated. Some of his performances were, were often highlighted as being positives. Uh, and there was talk in the summer. I think maybe West Ham. I think were potentially in for him, and that never materialised. Um, so yeah, I think definitely Joe could step up and, and play in the Premier League again. Bobby. Very possibly But I still think there are question marks Over his position And his favourite position Because I think he would say He's an out-striker and Fox-in-the-box kind of player Whereas managers tend to play him a little bit deeper And, and want to have a bit of a, a midfield role Involved there somewhere So I think there's a bit of an identity crisis with Bobby And I think that's what might
2: hold him back More than anything Yeah, I hear you there And um, yeah, certainly for me and I think a lot of people Probably everyone would agree on this That probably Lee Johnson got the very best out of Bobby Reed. So yeah interesting one Obviously he was linked with a move back to Bristol City in the summer Didn't materialise And yeah we're going to hear now from Lee Johnson On on him trying to make contact with those guys He was supposed to meet up with Joe Bryan for a coffee during the summer As he explains here Sad news regarding uh, Benica Fovey um, have you spoken to
3: Benwick um, and saw so yourself and um, what, what's your reaction? Obviously, horrible, horrible news. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the worst news, isn't it? You know, obviously, um, we've got love, a lot of love, if you like, for the Fobi family and um, we are here to support them, not to sort of overcrowd them, but to support them in, in anything they need. And um, Benwick, of course, is on loan, it's a difficult situation in terms of his injury and logistics but we're here and um i think that the squad took it understandably really badly and because of the the feeling that you have for the family and, and Bennick, and um and all we can do is show our support me and dean uh, drove we went to kent yesterday um, and we sat with Bennick and his family and uh and really again just to show that support and uh and be there for them and and offer anything that they want and uh certainly the squad um and the boys have been in contact in terms of messaging and um and the message is consistent which is uh, we're here
2: I'd just like to echo that on behalf of the media as well and offer our condolences as well um Thank you. moving on to the football then uh discussing the huddersfield game at the weekend um how much um, do you feel that the formation was key to
3: the um, uh, the performance and a good result? That um, I think the, the flexibility of the team was excellent and I think the formation <clears throat> probably only really comes into play with the way we play when we're defending in that sort of mid-block if you like. So I think the formation often People talk about the formation, but it's more about the personnel. And um, there is a change between a four and a five in how your defenders think and how they move. So I was very pleased, actually, considering how many um, games in a row we'd played a five and been successful in a five. So then switch to a four, which we do well, to be honest, in play. But from the start, I'll obviously start as fast as we did, and. Um, I think the boys that played um, and, and the subs that came on uh, really proved their worth in that performance.
2: It's obviously very difficult circumstances. but you, you knew about the Bennett news before
3: the match, did you? What did you find out about I did, yeah. I knew Friday. I spoken to Bennett and Dean and um, it was difficult because, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you don't want to put the boys in a frame of mind that's not conducive to winning a football match. I couldn't have played guarantee it now. I was um, in tears, me and my wife um, when we found out the news so to go from that position to suddenly then go and play a game of football um, is nigh on impossible so I (laughs) had to take the decision if you like to to keep that to myself and my immediate staff knowing that directly after the game um, that that I had to obviously give uh, the horrendous news but I do think in one sense the performance was a nice tribute and um certainly there was a couple of players that knew you see the way ash scored and celebrated his goal and casey palmer knew so i asked them to keep it quiet and then we we delivered the uh, obviously the news in the in the dressing room and let me tell you that was a uh, that was a somber sad um sad dressing room because again there's so much uh love if you like for the family
2: um on the um, upcoming Fulham game, um, how's the squad looking for that? Um, might Thomas Callis be involved?
3: Getting stronger all the time. Yeah, Thomas uh, trained a bit part of the session today, so we'll see how he reacts. Um, obviously, the boys performed very well in the last game, so that comes into your thinking as well. And there's a lot of competition, and I think you can see it in training. Almost every position's doubled up. Uh, almost too much competition, like I said us managers moan when we haven 't got enough players, and then we moan when we 've got too many players and uh, it 's not easy. I find a team quite easy to select, but often the bench varies because of the strengths and weaknesses of the opposition, but also that 's the bit that becomes difficult because it 's very hard to explain to a player that uh, i don 't need a right back or a left back on the pits uh, on the bench today because um, there certain areas that I feel we can exploit further up the pitch because a player wants consistency in selection. And so the team, very, very easy for me. Um, uh, the bench, not so easy because of the uh, having to leave players out, and, and this week it'll be four or five. Just speaking of
2: full-backs, how's MJ De Silva doing? Is he far away?
3: He's not bad, yeah. I mean, he, he looks sharp. Obviously, he's control- in controlled conditions at the moment just due to the timing of the stress fracture. So he hasn't integrated back with the boys. But I suppose the positive of Jay's stature, if you like, is that uh, he's got a good centre of gravity. He's sharp across the ground. And he hasn't actually ever felt too much pain. So he's never felt like... It. It's not like a knee or an ankle where he's sort of testing it and you're not quite sure... The stress fracture didn't even really hurt him. It was just an ache. And we found out it was a stress fracture. And then since then, he hasn't had pain. So I think he'll be chomping at the bit. And I expect him, once he's integrated with the squad, to be ready, I think, pretty quickly.
2: Uh, Nathan Baker came off at weekend with a dead leg, I think. Yeah,
3: we'll just have to assess that one with Bakes. And uh, like I say, but we've got a lot of competition now, obviously, with Bailey Wright and Calash training today and, and Taylor Moore. So, um, yeah, if that one, at the moment, if the centre-half went down, we could cope.
2: How do you see the challenge of Fulham?
3: Would you put them in the same bracket as
2: maybe Leeds and West Brom, who have defeated Bristol City this season?
3: Um, Yeah, I think so. I think in terms of, like, the quality, they've got proven sort of championship promotion players, haven't they, all all over the pitch and and back up. So, I think you've got to look at the Fulham side and, and... and it's interesting because obviously the quality that they've got in the forward areas, and it like it's almost conducive to winning the premier uh, to winning the championship. But then probably slightly off balance considering you won't have as many as much as the ball if you went to the Premier League, and that's probably what they found um, last year. So I think that Fulham has always been a great place to play. We've had some decent results in there in, in recent history, and obviously we travel well. Um, to West London so I think the fans enjoy a day out whether it be QPR or Fulham up on the train a few bevies and uh, hopefully enjoy a good performance yeah, I was going to say
2: do you have some Fulham links yourself I think maybe one of your cousin works there or
3: something or- yeah I've got a lot of Fulham links to so be fair my dad's all my dad's side are, are big supporters of Fulham so I'll, I'll be taking up half half of one of the stands with, with tickets Um yeah my cousin um, has worked there, my auntie's worked there, so still people in the academy that are, are related so, um, yeah a lot of links and uh, like I say uh, most Johnsons are Fulham fans Yeah, I was going to say um,
2: Yeah, I was going to ask the same thing uh, were you a Fulham fan when you were younger or, or was, it, was it your dad it,
3: who was a Fulham it fan? It was definitely fan? always one of my um, dad's yeah, dad's without doubt a Fulham fan like uh, all his side obviously I was brought up in Cambridge and Newmarket so and my dad ran his soccer schools and then became manager of Cambridge United. So, uh, of course, naturally, your family almost try and force you onto a football team. But for me, it was one of the teams that I watched and watched closely. But um, I was at Arsenal as a kid. as a, So it was Arsenal was my sort of number one side. And then probably my dad's side, sort of number two. And then uh, Fulham was sort of the next result that we all looked for. And um, City
2: obviously come up against Joe Bryan and Bobby Reid this weekend. Um, Have you spoken to either of the players since
3: since they left the club here? Yeah, I've spoken um, a few times, actually. Yeah, Bobby, um, just to congratulate him, for example, his first Premier League goal and certain scenarios like that. And Joe, (laughs) actually, we were trying to meet up for a coffee pretty much all summer, and uh, our diaries just didn't sort of uh, connect in the end. But I got a lot of um, respect for the the two players and, and another player as well that I managed in Alfie Mawson who was my captain at Barnsley after signing him from Brentford so um, yeah I think that, that I'm I'm pleased that they're at a good club performing at a high level week in week out they've all had their shot at the Premier League and uh, obviously though you know what I mean you go in there those personal relationships or those friendships both for our players and myself will wait till after the game and uh, at that point win lose or draw we will make sure that uh, we shake their hand and and have a drink whatever that drink may be Just finally um, regarding the upcoming January transfer window um, you kind of
2: hinted after the Cardiff game that you might like to bring in a couple of players is is, is that right is that how
3: you, you see it? I think you're always looking to to bring in the boost if you know what I mean that boost of quality what we don't need to bring in is a body just for the numbers we, we've got enough numbers we've got players like Sammy Smodic training well every day chomping at the bit Waiting for his chance, and um, and, it, and I'm sure he'll get it. There's a lot of games coming up, uh, Christmas, early January, and at that point, the squad and, and the depth of the squad is going to be really important. And, and you see the clubs that haven't quite got the depth, like Charlton start, for example, and now the run that, that they've had is generally down to the injuries that they've got, and that's where I think the, the bigger clubs <coughs> that comes in the uh, in the division can cope because like West Brom, just to give you a good example can pull like one player out of the team and put another one in and the actual strength at the side doesn't really get reduced so we're getting to that point now as well both through development and obviously um, cohesion and understanding so yeah we're strong but there's still a couple of positions that I'd like to uh, improve and
2: in looking to do that, is it possible that any of the loanees could return from elsewhere, the likes of Jamie
3: Patterson and Derby? I think everything's on the table. Obviously, there is a clause in in, in Jamie's uh, loan that we can recall him or that they can opt not to take him. He's played for us. He's played for Derby. So there's nowhere else to go, if you like, but us and Derby. And I'd have no fears or qualms about bringing Jamie Patterson back into the group. You know, he went originally because it was an opportunity And I couldn't quite offer as as many starts as he would have wanted, given the fact that he'd been here for three years and been a key part. So, um, obviously, if he comes back, he's he's certainly a good player to uh, go into the last few games of the season with. Just last one,
2: Max O'Leary facing him in the FA Cup against Shrewsbury Town. Could he feature in
3: that game (laughs) for the Shrews, or is it? No, he won't be featuring in that game, (laughs) that's for sure. You can't play against your parent club
2: so that was Lee Johnson talking there ahead of the the Fulham game in his, his pre-Cottages press conference that took place on Wednesday. And just to round off the podcast this week, before we hear from this uh, from Mark Ashton, sorry for the final part of our exclusive chat with the Bristol City CEO, myself and Tim are going to give our predictions for the weekend. Tim, how do you see this one going? And also, do you think the players will have been... A, Largely affected by the Afobe stuff this week, could that have a detrimental effect? Possibly,
0: um, I don't think it'll have a detrimental effect. If anything, it might bring the squad together, um, and they'll be desperate to go out and put in a performance for, for Bennick and his family on Saturday. Um, I hope they'll be wearing black armbands. I know the Wolves players did last weekend, um, and I'm sure City will this weekend. Um, so there'll be there'll be lots of tributes. I know the fans are planning something in the second minute to, uh, to cheer either Benick's name or his daughter's name, who, who tragically passed away. Um, so that that'll be a nice touch. So in terms of will it affect the players? I don't think so. I think once once it kicks off, focus will be on the game. Um, it might be a bit emotional in the lead up to it. But once it comes to the business end of the day, I think um, the players will, will be strong enough to keep their heads.
2: Yeah, well said. I agree with most of that. I I just think uh, that Bristol City might go back to that 5-3-2 formation that, that they've used previously. I've got to crowbar this in here, but I was on... Um, The One Stream in Bristol podcast The Fans podcast which is an excellent listen as well Maybe not quite as excellent As this listen but but it's up there As well and I was saying to those Guys that yeah I I expected Lee Johnson to go back to um, the previous tactics that he's used because it has worked well away from home, and maybe that might counter the three in the middle that Fulham often use. But we'll we'll have to see. What, what, what do you think? Would you agree with that? Would you think they'll stick with the four four two that they use at the weekend? Do you know what? This is this is
0: one of those games where I, I think you you could flip a coin over it because um, I really, really don't know um, what Lee's going to do on on Saturday. Personally, I'd like to see him go similar to how it was against Huddersfield take the game to Fulham exactly. because I think occasionally Lee's been guilty of overthinking your position too much worrying about what they're going to do I think he needs to sometimes concentrate more on what City are going to do what City's game plan is going to be and let, let the other team worry about what City are going to do rather than City worry about the other team too much um, so I'd like to see a similar team or if not the same team that started against Huddersfield um, especially after performances like Eliason's Because if Lee goes to five at the back There is a good chance that Eliasson will have to drop out again And how's that going to play on him If he puts in a performance like Huddersfield And then finds himself back on the bench the next game
2: Yeah, spot on. So score prediction then Can you see it being a fifth win in a row for Bristol City at Craven Cottage? Well, um, I
0: think Bristol City are to Fulham What City are to Huddersfield, which is a bogey team. Um, Huddersfield always seem to get smashed when they come to Ashton Gate. City always seem to do well when they go to Craven Cottage. So uh, It's a tough one, isn't it? Um, My my heart says it's going to be 3-1 to City. My head says 2-2, 1-1.
2: A draw of any kind will be a good result. Fulham's kryptonite, maybe, yeah, as you you say there. I'm going to go for a a 2-2 score draw. I just think there'll be a few goals in this. And also, just seeing that run of wins at Craven Cottage, I'm pessimistic and think that that has to end at some point. So, yeah, I I think maybe a score draw might be about right here, and and maybe that would be a good point for for Bristol City. Yeah, I think if City can
0: come away without defeat, that's the main thing. You know, Concentrate on a draw first. If he can win, then great. I mean, who scores first as well will set the tone. I think if City can score first, that will that will make Fulham think because City have such a good record at Craven Cottage. And I know managers and players probably say, you know, that past history doesn't doesn't play on their minds. But I, I think if City can get, get in
2: front, it might. Great stuff, great stuff. Tim, thank you ever so much for joining us um, and hopefully we'll have you on another "Robbins on the Wire podcast soon and um, hopefully Bristol City can get at least the point that you've mentioned there, if not better. Just before we go, here's another excerpt of our interview with the Bristol City CEO, Mark Ashton, where we asked him about potential transfers in January, contract updates regarding several City players and also his role at the EFL, plus his views on financial fair play. Quite a lot to chew over here. What's
4: been the sort of fundamental change with Lee as a coach that you've seen in terms of his? What, what's he kind of doing now
1: that stands up for you that perhaps he wasn't doing in 2016? I just think he's naturally got more experienced yeah. um, at championship level. Um, Is that an in-game thing in terms of his decision-making? Both. Yeah. I think both. I, th- I think just as a human, you see him like I like saw, um, he, he's getting getting older he, 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 he has a I think an unrivaled desire for knowledge gain, He always wants to learn. We all we all want to learn and that's one of the things we talk about here is creating a learning environment. Mm-hmm. So whether it's Dave, whether it's Suze, whether it's Luke, we need to learn because I've been doing this for thirty odd years now, and I'm learning every day. Industry's changing rapidly, yeah. players are changing rapidly, off the pitch is changing rapidly, and that's why you've got to move quick and you've got to absorb knowledge. The minute you think you know it all, someone else goes past you. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever worry about him leaving? Um, no, no, bizarrely, I don't worry about it. Um, as in. Because it's going to just, I mean, obviously, as the longest serving
4: now in terms of yeah. progression. You don't have to be a rocket science. You, you know, you say about Premier League owners yeah. and CEOs talking to you about your yeah. dynamic. There's going to be a club at
1: some stage down the line who are going to think about it. Listen, I want, I want Lee, I want players, I want staff to be the best they can be and experience life in the Premier League. But I want them to experience that with Bristol City.
3: Um, I think You know If any Any player Or staff member And I don't just mean Lee in this Mm. Feel that their Progression Is moving quicker
1: than um, The clubs And it's right for them to go Then it's right for them To go But I'll tell you what The grass ain't always greener Absolutely And I think, I keep going back to it, and people get bored of me saying this, but I promise you it's so important. Our ownership and our stability is so important. The freedom we get to do our jobs, the professionalism I think we get to show is due to both Steve, Maggie, Lansdowne. They are consistent. Don't tell us when they're not happy. But they give us a sense of direction and a way in which they want us to both operate and behave. They mm. understand our vision, mission, values. And I think that's priceless. And if you look at this industry across the board, you know what I go on record as saying is, they're the best owners. Okay. Not one of the best. Yeah, And that's not just me saying that because they're Steve and Maggie. Look at their behaviours. I think they're the best owners.
4: So have been a decision even made by yourself or the club that perhaps you'd like to go back and do differently? Oh God, hindsight's... hindsight's yeah,
1: well, I, 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 it's, listen, hindsight's, it's, our, it's our greatest tool as a journalist. Yeah, <laughs> hind, hind, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, I, I always say to to Steve, I Maggie, I say to the staff, look, I will make ineffective decisions. I'll get things wrong. But when I wake up in the morning, the two things you can guarantee for me is you're going to get hard work, you're going to get honesty, and I'm going to try and do the right thing. And as long as I'm doing that, we're going to go in the right direction, mm-hmm. because I'm going to get more... As long as I get more right than I get wrong, then we're going to be, we're going to be moving forward. Um, but, look, yeah, I think every day I would be a liar if I said to you, I'm not honest enough to look myself in the mirror and say, well, I might have done that differently or I'd have done that differently or it's anything that stands out. Um I probably wouldn't have appointed Dave, to be nice honest with you. Um, thank you. um I don't think there's anything major. I think you I think I look at scenarios and I think I probably at times think, oh I could have handled that better, or I could have been more effective, or I could have made that decision quicker, or I could have made. It. But I don't think there's there's, there's huge ones. Mm. Um, you know, you look you look at the biggest area that probably sits under me recruitment, mm. and it's really easy to look back and say, "Oh, would have done that in hindsight." But what have we learned from that to not do that yeah. again? So. Yeah, I think there are a multitude of things little things that I would have done differently I do think there's anything hugely um, but there are always things I could have done better. Yeah, on, on the recruitment because, again I sound like, but
4: you, you don't get a lot wrong um, it seems from this end anyway ah! um, Okay, <laughs> I see what I listen then How has the recruitment changed and how have you changed it?
1: Firstly, they live next door now. Where where was it? Was it the training ground? Was it? Yeah. Um, I'll put them here. Yeah. Um, I think we've got, and we're nowhere near the finished article. We've got more sophisticated. We have. We are better prepared. We have far more different skill sets
3: in the recruitment team than we've had historically. And we have a clear plan on mm-hmm. what we're trying to do.
1: Um, and I think all of that added together has allowed us to become far more effective in the last two to three summer transfer windows. I think we are one of the biggest traders and I've been consistent over the last two two summers. Mm. Hence, we've just announced a successful set of accounts, which Sorry, is yeah. very unusual in in our industry. Mm. Um, it's an evolution, and I think it's the one area that you've got to, you have to move with quickly, and you have to keep advancing your knowledge. Um, i, we, I, I j- joking apart, I have, to, I have to turn these off because I'll give you an example of how we work in... We're now moving towards a transfer window. Mm. Our, our work, <laughs> my work doesn't start in that transfer window, yeah, my no. work starts far, far earlier. Yeah. So, when, when we write plan for the summer, um, we, we I look to do probably 95 plus percent of my business in that summer window not the january window and so hence why when i recruited this summer i tried to recruit recruit one of the learning points uh, last season we need a bit more depth in 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 kiev so i made sure i felt mm. that we with lee we got that that depth and that's been tested yeah absolutely. Um, you then move to a january transfer window which are notoriously difficult for everyone mm. because Players are overpriced, yep. um clubs don't want to sell, the pond that you're recruiting gets smaller and smaller, and if you're at the top end of the division it's even smaller because people who are competitors don't want to sell to you. Do you then take the risk of going overseas? Players don't have, have game time. Uh, it, it, it is difficult. So I would always want to do minimal business in that, in that January, in that January window. Um, but we have a clear plan. That we set in the summer that we try and we try and stick to. And I think what when you talk to like Sir John now, who's seen transfer windows here for a very long time, yeah. what John always says surprises him now is it's very rare we don't get our number one target. We do at times, law of averages, but we more more or less we're at well plus 90% hit rate on our number one targets and um, you can say that about the summer just gone yeah 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 yeah. Um, and the best way I can describe the recruitment team to you I've got you I've got hierarchical org charts everywhere which is my staff but I don't talk to the staff in charts mm. what I do is I talk to them in wheels because our strength is the collective so all my job is is I sit at the centre of the wheel on the glue I put the systems and the process and the right people in place and then my job is to empower everybody to get the knowledge and information mm-hmm. I don't sit at the top of the tree and then dictate don't work like that my job is to get the knowledge out of people and I think that's where we've got far better we've got technical recruitment now
3: um, so we've got Sean we've got Dan who we
1: recruited for Manchester United about four months ago into that area um, plus four or five other staff in there now. So that data analytic, analytical video analysis, worldwide recruitment net is bigger now here than it's ever been. Yeah. The scouting side, um, we've now changed again, and we're going to bring some more people into that. Um, and then on top of that, you've got your, your your contact network, which pulls in all different pieces of information. Mm. That What normally formulates for me is, which I've taken down, is my dash. So at 8 o'clock every morning, the recruitment team pull together a dashboard. And the dashboard is every club, and that's whether it's... Um, media stuff that you guys put out whether it's the nationals whether it's other clubs whether it's agents whether it's my contacts list contacts all goes into one catch and that's updated eight o'clock every morning and runs 24 7 on my screen so I can see the popul- population of that information building towards January yeah um and as I get towards January my other work it almost get sidelined and taken away because that has to become the focus. Lee and I in that period have to embed ourselves in that world to get what we need to do mm-hmm. and that knowledge and information allows us to make more effective decisions so therefore we tend to get more I think our hit rate of getting them right rather than wrong mm-hmm. has improved mm-hmm. but that is not just down to Mark Ashton and it's not just down to Lee ultimately with a face and the front, but there's a multitude of people who are in, in, involved in that. But the key is we all know our roles. So there will be moves to recruit in January. Then. Um, yeah, um, I think it would be remiss of me to say
4: no, <laughs> but it has to be right. Yeah, it has to be right. The worst thing we can do is take the wrong one. Mm. Um, Especially in January, take the wrong. Is that is that a worse decision than the
1: wrong one in the summer? Yeah, because I think in the summer you've got season He's got pre-season to get him up to speed mm. um, and work with them. He hasn't got that time in January right. because he's in, the, he's in the middle of games. Mm. Um, and that's the challenge because that pond we recruit from has shrunk. It shrunk even more because clubs see us as a competitor, and we've got to get someone who's up to speed or fairly up to speed and will fit the way we play
4: Mm. it's
1: not easy no and but in saying that we have options Um, but I'm too long in the tooth you can be 99.999% sure you've got that option nailed and at the death it's gone yeah, because the club get an injury, they keep him in. All of a sudden, some it's a spiderweb. Once one, once one movement happens three clubs away, the effect comes down to you and mm-hmm. it gets you here. And that's why we have the data sets to see if we're at risk of something happening that could affect mm-hmm. our our decision making. Because mm-hmm.
4: um, obviously, from a from a supporters' point of view. The January window has become the kind of the the great not save is the wrong word. But that's kind of the missing piece. They've always seen that as if 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 a, if a successful. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I'm just conv- yeah, no, so, no, no, no. And I understand um, that that you know we should have got player X last in 2018 yeah. or 27, 2017, 2017, yeah. which would have led to X Y and Z. Yeah. And obviously coming up to 2019, and you get the vibe they're thinking the same thing. Yeah, um, you know. I'm not saying it's not right, but how accurate I mean can you can you understand
1: that? I, I, can, I can understand it, and I can understand the emotion that runs around that. but what I would say is I think you, you need to admit it' You're, when I 'm working in the summer and planning a summer transfer window i 'm thinking about January mm. so i 'm thinking, right, what depth have we got here should something go go awry go right in, in in January? Um, so let's be really clear we've had an injury to to Benic that no one could have no one could have foreseen. Um, and what I, I the bit that I chuckle at and I do chuckle is when I when I hear or see people say oh Benwickophobia was the last throw of the dice in the summer transfer window it was because they hadn't got so and so they gambled we've been talking about Bennett all, all summer, mm. but we got several lines in several, several fires, so I'd never put all my eggs in one basket. And I think, the, you know, in the period before Bennett was injured, the way he played, the way he fitted in, proved to everyone actually yeah. there, was some, there was obviously a little bit of homework yeah. done there. Yeah, it was a hell of a yeah, yeah,
4: no,
1: and, and, lucky accident, but no, obviously it wasn't there. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who do a lot of work to get us to that point. Mm. Um, so I think this it, is just my opinion. You look, you look at the squad. I, I think we've got depth. We've got players coming back. Um, you know, what do we need in January? Well, we've lost Benik So the logic is, if if the right player is available in that position, then absolutely we look to recruit it. Um, but. I, I, I make no apologies for saying this. It's got to be the right one. What is the right player? Um, well, it's got to be someone who can make an impact and make uh, and have a, have an effect. Um, because what you what you've also got is you've got some good youngsters oh. in the building who's who are who are coming through, and sometimes you can click, create the illusion that just because it's a name. Oh that it's better and the grass is greener and when you get them actually, it's, it's not. It's exactly the same so it's getting that balance. Um, it, it's, we've got a very tight group, you, you'll, have, you, you'll have seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've got a real good group, good group of humans where there was a hell of a lot of mission, vision, values, behavior setting done in Tampa. And what you don't want is someone to come into that group who is totally against that and upsets that because that would undermine everything we've got I think we've got a strong enough group to probably deal with that now and Lee certainly would um, but so the person's got to be it has got to be a person fit they've got to be f- physically capable of playing the way Lee wants to play
4: yeah.
1: and they've got to be able to improve us um, and what be, sits behind that as you would imagine is a raft of technical information that Lee wants, that the recruitment team, work on. So there's a process behind it um, and I think one of the things that always frustrates me in transfer windows is that I almost feel the supporters pain because I'd love to be able to come out and tell them, what I'd love them to be able to sit there and watch what's going on because it would blow, blow their minds, the, 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 the energy and the amount of work that goes on, but it's like a swan it's all going on under the water yeah. and we can't say anything until it's done, it, it, it's done. Um, and you will be no same it, it's no, no different now everything's starting to build up but the majority of it is noise and not fact mm-hmm. and it's just an industry thing that happens mm-hmm. my job is to, to determine what's fact and what is just, is just noise and that's where my relationships, Lee's relationships, other people's relationships in the club with other clubs' key contacts and relationships and agents, we have to base our decisions on facts. Um, you know, sometimes, even with your paper, I'll read something I'll go, Well, you can't be serious. That's never going to happen. But in fairness, on the other hand, then I'll read something and I'll go, Ooh, that's a bit close. Yeah, play, they play that one. So it's like, mm. and, and it, so all that information has to come into the, so everything you guys put in your, your paper, okay. as the goes into the dashboard, because I, there'll be a reason why you've put that there. Mm. And our job is to, de- is part of that process, that information gathering process is determining fact.
3: Mm. Um, but we'll go into January with options and requirements, but there but the grace of God. Change against West Bomb tomorrow because someone touched what they won't but could get injured, yeah. and then we have to move. But what we do
1: is we carry options in all positions, not just the positions we're looking at. Mm. So if something happens, we're always in the game mm. for what's available.
4: Is there because the, the kind of the kindergarten maths that goes on, and obviously, we talk about the counts. I mean, is there a willingness to spend money in January? because you talk about overpriced, or is there a reluctance to spend money in January because of that?
1: No, I I don't think, um, since I've been at this football club, I'm just trying to think, I don't think there's ever been a single deal that I've taken to my owner that they've said no to.
4: Okay.
1: I'm just trying to think of one. No, they don't. Mm. We know what we do, so we only only take them things that fit our model, Um, and they've always been support. So, so, there, so, there so, are, so there's no... So there's no there's no reluctance not to spend mm. and there's not a desire, oh, we've got to spend this. They just do the right thing. Mm. It, it's a, simply about that we take things to them we believe are right for this football club and our owners have been fantastic since I don't know. Yes.
2: Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again next week with the uh, next episode and another one closer to Michelle's return after Christmas. Thanks for joining us.
1: Robin's on the wire.